live from Salt Lake City, Utah, the Mecca of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to help people walk toward his love. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, love you and need you. Be with those who support and, and help keep the program going. Seth and Wendy, Kathy Mags, Mary, who are all here doing it. And we just pray for the viewers at home, viewers here in the studio audience, people who watch the archives, and help uh, your truth to be known. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Saturday, October 5th is a big day here in the state of Utah. Let me tell you why. First of all, there's going to be a march. You've all probably heard of a guy named Sam Young. Sam, let's take a look at that graphic. He is doing the children's march. He's behind Protect Every Child. It used to be Protect the Mormon Kids, but now it's Every Child Anywhere, Everywhere. Saturday, October 5th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., at the Salt Lake City and County Building. That's where they met last year, too, for those of you who are there. 450 South State Street. There's parking all around that place. It's a Saturday, so you get two hours free anywhere you park. You don't have to put it in the meters just to let you know. Come out and support Sam Young and his march for the children as they march uh, to a destination. They have a rally, and it's, it's a growing thing. I guess they're trying to get... How many are they trying to get? 5,000 people. So if you show up, you're going to help reach that number. That's pretty impressive here in Utah. Get 5,000 people showing up. So let's give that a, a thought. And then at 7 p.m., Lee Baker, former LDS bishop who uh, became a Christian, who then left Christianity and became a Jew, uh, is going to debate James White, who is a Calvinist and loves to debate everybody because he's a Calvinist, and uh, James has made a profession of doing this. I guess Lee is starting to debate people now, and that's going to be Saturday, October 5th. So, so after you do the march, you go out to dinner, you get a little sloshed, and then you go to the debate. And uh, it's at 8630 West in Magna, and that's at Christ Presbyterian Church. That's my buddy Jason Wallace's church. In fact, I just called Jason because we didn't know the time, and he told me it's 7 p.m. So if you want to hit that up, you can watch Lee Baker, former Mormon, debate. And, and the topic of the debate is the authenticity of the New Testament, I'm pretty sure. Something like that. Changes, Changes in the New Testament, etc., etc. So if you're interested in that, go for it. Listen, I want to tell you a quick story. I went to the doctor today. I'm having a procedure done. He's a specialist. He's an orthopedist and uh, orthopedic surgeon. And uh, he told me his life story in, in summary in the office. And he asked, he knows what I do. And he's LDS. He's, he's, got, uh, he's married and he's got four kids. And he, he's a fantastic guy. He's really, uh, of course, he's going to be smart being an, a doctor, but he's also really affable. And, and he came from being a wild beer drinking kid uh, to um, finding that Mormonism was going to improve his life, and it has. It's taken him from a rough upbringing to uh, a, a, an upbringing where he's responsible, and it's helped him a lot. And I preface that by saying, listen, if you're happy and content in the religion that you practice, Mormon, Roman Catholicism, Orthodoxy, whatever it is, turn me off. You know, if you're really happy with your institutional religion, 
you know, leave watching me because I am not going to sustain and encourage you to stay in that. That's not our purpose. Our purpose are for people who think there's something wrong with the picture. There's something I'm not being filled with in my life through this religion. And there's plenty of people who are LDS who feel that way. My doctor doesn't happen to be one. It works for him. Fine. So I'm not here to insult people who take their religious affinities seriously. I'm really not. I don't want to do that to anybody. And, uh, but I am here. I'm not here to mock you or insult you, but I am here to tell people who are looking for more, you're not going to find it in institutional religion. And so if you're all about your religion and you're not searching, turn me off and go somewhere else. There's no need. I'm here for people who want more freedom and liberty in Christ and want to break from the bondage that I think religious institutions put on people. And some people like that. And, and I can't fault them if they do. Next week, right here in Heart of the Matter, we're going to be airing a two-part interview starting Monday night, Angela Kelly, and then Tuesday night, part two with Angela Kelly. Uh, that's September 30th, Monday, part one, October 1st, part two. Angela is a political activist here in Utah who focuses on polygamy, and to me, she represents the most cogent arguments. I, they're the best arguments I have ever heard as to why polygamy should be illegal. Should be illegal. I don't use that word illegal very, uh, very often. I don't get involved with uh, legislation and stuff, but she presents a fantastic argument as to why polygamy should be illegal. And so I would challenge you to tune in for those coming up next Monday and Tuesday. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413. Call with any questions or comments that you have on last night's show or the weeks prior or anything else want, you want to talk about. We love first-time callers. So uh, 801-590-8413. Kathy, Mary are answering the calls and they'll vet you and put you through. But while we're doing that, from last night's show, which we titled The Yoke, is on you. The yoke's on you. Uh, Indigo Child wrote, I couldn't agree more with the show. I'm glad not to be a along those lines of thinking. What lines of thinking? That religion places a yoke on your back and, uh, and that's what the whole thing was about. <coughs> Charlie said the yoke that is around their neck should be a big sign on a Ha, should have a big sign on at the church. And Charlie, I love you, but I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I just can't understand what that one means. So let me know. Uh, three Itty Bitty Piggies says, good analogy. Pardon me. It is more than a little hard to walk toward his love or follow him anywhere when equally yoked with heavy burdens which men place upon you and force onto you to share with others. Truth shall set you free. And that's the point. When you're yoked with, you must do, you have to do, you better do, or you're going to have God do this to you. Man, it's a really tough walk. Thomas Freestone says, he, he's quoting scripture, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. First John 1, 9. Confess your sins and Jesus will do the purifying of your heart, he says. And I think that's in response to me saying, I don't let my sins uh, easily beset me anymore. If I have a sin that comes up in my life, 
I'm like, Jesus, you got to handle this. Help me. And I just don't make it a big focal point of, oh, I've gotten into a sin. I did a sin. I'm thinking a sin. I yelled out a sin. I did whatever. I just don't go down that road anymore. I let Jesus work it out. And he does. And I think that's what he's saying. Confess your sins. You'd certainly do that. Man, I am wrong again, Lord. And Jesus will take it, take care of you. M.H. wrote some prose, actually. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, porn, whatever else. These are all distractions. I think that's a really, really insightful thing. That's the way to see them. It's you're walking your Christian walk. And when you get involved in these other things, they're distractions. They lead you away from the course that you should be on. He says, uh, you have a certain amount of time gifted to you and you can use it for eternal, valuable, eternally valuable things. Or you can waste it getting stuck on being pushed and pulled from all other impulses in human nature and even other people's human nature at times can push and pull and influence you to do these things. Uh, so do you have to never drink another drop of alcohol to be saved? I mean, I think Jesus saves. Do you have to never watch porn again to be saved? Again, I think Jesus saves. I th the thing is, I think Jesus saves, he repeats. And it's really important the way he's saying that. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus has saved us. You know, so these other things are just distractions is the point of it. I'm not going to go through all the rest of it, Seth. He, he wrote a lot. Uh, and it's there on the website. You can read it in the comments if you watch the show. But uh, I, he, he makes a really good point. You can get distracted by the things in this life and uh, taken off course. Just remember, Jesus has saved you. Move forward in faith. Learn to love. On we go. We've also have comments coming in from Michael Lee in the past. Now, Michael's an Orthodox uh, believer. And uh, the most recent one says, in part, I don't think that Mr. McCraney has responded adequately to the criticisms regarding the dating of certain New Testament texts, which clearly and unequivocally contradict his belief in full preterism. I don't respond to Michael Lee online uh, because he has shown his colors in the past. And, uh, and I don't think that an online discussion with him is profitable. But I will respond here. Michael's Orthodox. And so being Orthodox, it's very important. That means Eastern Orthodox. That we can prove, Michael needs to prove that some of the New Testament books were written after the destruction of Jerusalem. It's really important for his belief system to make sure that that's the case. Because if he proves that, then it shows there's a need for brick and mortar religion from here, from then on out till today. And someone has to have the truth and someone has to be doing it right. And someone has to have the authority and someone has to have the correct interpretation of the scripture. And someone has to have the rights to do the rituals and ordinances upon people so that they can have everything necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, you got to have all that set. So what he's focusing on with me is Sean, the scholars, he uses in a very broad sense, the scholars almost unitedly agree that this book or that book or this book was written after the 70 AD destruction, which he says destroys your preterist views. Preterist meaning, I think it's all been fulfilled. Um, but dating 
speculations by scholars has never been the thing I care about. Why? Because it's not a winnable game. No one knows. You'll notice if you look at all my comments on the dating of scripture, I've never quoted a scholar to prove my point. And there are scholars out there who agree with my point. I don't quote scholars to support me. And I don't look at other scholars and say, oh, their evidence scares me. Because we don't know. We don't know. It's only just guessing. And I know they have all sorts of formulas on how to guess when something was written. But they go as, they, they vary as much as a hundred years between when books were written. What I look to to tell me when a book was written is what the internal evidence of the book says. So if Jesus says in the Gospels, whenever that Gospel was written, let me tell you something, some of you standing here will be here when I return. If Jesus says to his apostles, you won't get to every city in Israel before I come back. If Jesus says everything I've just told you, Peter, James, John, and Andrew in Matthew 24, if everything I just told you is going to happen within a generation if he tells them that, everything will happen within a generation, which is understood as being 40 years from when he said that, I trust those things as telling me when the books were written, when they had to have been written. I don't trust, when I look at the book of Revelation, and it shows when the uh, different kings were, and it shows that the temple is uh, still mentioned, and it shows all these different factors... Well, the internal evidence of the book I read tells me what it tells me. I don't care if a scholar says it is proven from hieroglyphics that it was all written in 150 AD. It doesn't matter because the internal evidence I use is something far more substantive, substantive than what our scholars say. Because our scholars, the word Michael loves to use, um, are not in consensus. So he, Michael continues, he says, Sean dismisses the consensus among scholars. The consensus. That's not a true statement, Michael. There's not a consensus among scholars. There's a consensus among certain scholars, perhaps the one that you like because it helps you to believe what you believe, but there is not a consensus among scholars. And again, even if there was, phenopole to scholars' uh, consensus. I don't care. I care what the internal evidence is. But he says, the consensus among scholars on the date of these texts with a proverbial, I dismiss them with a wave of my hand. He says, a wave of my hand. But that isn't good enough, I'm afraid. And then he adds, for Sean's case to be convincing, he needs to establish that all the texts are dated before 70 A.D., an impossible task, I should think. You're right. I cannot prove that all the texts were written pre-70 AD. Anymore, you can prove that any of the texts were written post. You can't prove it. So why even go down that road? You go down it because you got some men who go by tradition. They say, no, well, these were written after and therefore the church needs to go on and we have to have our popes with hats and we have to have our incense and burning rituals and we have to pray to Mary. <laughs> you know, that's what you're saying, Michael. Sorry. 
I don't see in the scripture that I trust any reason to pray to Mary and light incense and wear pointed hats and robes and have iconography and all these rituals and rites and holy days. Sorry, Michael. I don't find that in the text, scholars or not. Okay. He adds in the end, apology. He says, I regret losing my temper at Sean's provocation. But I have no qualms about continuing to question his beliefs. You can question all you want. This show is not for you, Michael. It's not for people like you. If people, they question all the time, but if they're looking for answers, there's a difference between that and challenging because you will not accept what's said no matter what I say. This show isn't for you. Get that. So uh, the way he phrases this, he reg- I regret losing my temper at Sean's provocations. Uh, that speaks volumes. Not, I'm sorry for calling you really hurtful names. Obese, stupid, things like that in his things. He, he, he calls me these names. Um, uh, but he doesn't say, please forgive me for losing my temper. He says, I regret losing my temper at Sean's provocations. So I want to, I want to illustrate, and it's not completely from my heart, but it's something I'm supposed to do, what, what should be done. Michael, please forgive me for provoking you. I am sorry I was wrong. Um, you are my brother in Christ. You believe in Christ, I'm sure, as, as in, in what you follow. I do not mean to cause you personal anguish. I don't want to have division with you here or online. I disinvite you to watch the show because it does nothing but cause you angst and, f- and you feel like I'm provoking you. It's not against you personally. It's against institutional religion. You don't like that? That's not going to change. So why don't you and I agree to disagree? I'll take the onus for being aggressive and let's just bury the hatchet because I'm never going to agree with you and you're never going to agree with me. So why don't we just agree to love each other in Christ and let the differences between us fall. And all of that I say in Jesus' name. Okay, let's move on. Shall we go to the phones? We have a caller from Oceanside, California. And I have emails and we have other comments. Really good emails. But let's take this first call from Stanley in Oceanside, California. Stanley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, we were just calling about yesterday's uh, uh, um, show, and I was just wanted to share that um, I agree with you on the point that you made about how um, if somebody's in sin, um, that like you're saying, they don't need to get, be uh, consumed by the sin. It's better that they just let God work it out through them than in God's way, not um, as ecclesiastical authority to a more or less for lack of better words, to beat it out of them. In, Amen. In I, I, I love that you agree with that. Um, well, you know, it's just like how you're saying it, it just, well, I don't even know, it's not even really how you're saying it, it's just the concept of it just sounds more loving as opposed to some sort of authority trying to beat it out of you and make you stop. It's just that, the whole concept of, authority but you know i will say this in my experience i have seen how people use authority to their benefit give me an example of 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 that 
Okay, when I was uh, homeless, I was homeless for four years. Okay. And um, I'm over here in Riverside, California. And over here, they have a program where it's like if you, um, like let's say you break the law, right, but you're not a, you're not a career criminal, the judge will uh, sometimes, like if it's a drug-related crime, uh, what, what they've actually stopped doing it. But what they used to do is they used to um, give the person, the first offender, first-time offender, they used to say, look, we're not going to put you in prison, but what we'll do is we'll let you go to this drug rehab. And no, they had secular ones and they had religious ones. Well, all the secular ones were always full, so more than likely you're going to go to a, a religious rehab. And then in that rehab, I, I tried it when I was homeless only because I was trying to, like, not be homeless, so I went to it. Yeah. And then when I was there, um, the program they, that they had was they wanted you to be there for, like, two years, and they wanted you to just be, like, discipled in Jesus, basically. So all you were permitted to do was you had to be there. You couldn't just come and go. It was like, and then you had to just, like, read the Bible and do busy work. Read the Bible and do busy work and church. So it was like... All they, and it was like, and it worked for some people. Some people were so grateful to be there rather than be in prison. There was some people who were, um, they were, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, um, third strikers. The, yeah. Those are people who are like, um, they've committed so much crime and the judge has given them three strikes. So they're on their third strike. If they get a third strike, they have a mandatory life sentence in prison. Yeah. So they're grateful to be in that program that's keeping them from having to go to prison for life. Yeah, Stanley, I, I'm all for programs like this, especially when drugs are involved and to help people get clean and straight. That, I'm not talking about that kind of thing at all. I'm not against anything like that. I'm not, I'm not an anarchist against social order or programs. I'm a Christian anarchist in the sense that I don't think that men or women in a church should insert themselves between the congregate and God relative to you better do this, you better think that, you better believe this, you better act this way. It's just in the church setting that I'm talking about, my brother. Okay, well, I also agree with you on that. And an example would be I've heard someone say from their own experience saying they wanted a church to do that to them. I've yeah, heard people and, and, say that. And, and again, like that's why we started the show off, look, like but my doctor friend this morning, if this works for you and that's satisfactory to you, turn this yes. show off. But, right. but I suspect there is a great percentage of people who are too afraid, they're too guilt-ridden, they don't know what to do, who want to be free, but they just keep placing themselves under the yoke because they don't know if there's another option. And that's, that's who I'm speaking to. Yes, I see what you're saying. I agree. I mean, yeah. I just want to let you know I agree. And so just, uh, I, I like your show. Well, Thanks, please brother. Keep up the good work. Hey, congratulations on all the progress you've made in your life. God, uh, praise God. Thank you. All, all right. right. See you, Stanley. Bye -bye. Okay, bye. We have Chris in Louisville and John in uh, Maryland. Uh, let's go to Chris in Louisville. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hello, uh, Sean, uh, I'm Pastor Chris Holman. I, I used to watch your show uh, years ago. It's probably been about 40 years since I used to watch your show. Uh, and I just so happened to watch it for the first time tonight again. Uh, and, and I saw that you had mentioned preterism, and I remember that you discussing at great length on preterism versus futurism. Uh, 
And I wanted to go to talk to you about Matthew 24, because I know this is a key chapter that is used for preterism. And let me first also say that I disagree with you on this. Yeah. Now, I'm not a futurist. Um, so the, the, other, um, the other leg in the race here is historicism, and that's where I stand on this. Yeah, ex- that, explain to our it, audience it, that, uh, Chris. Say what? I, explain to the audience the uh, historicism uh, view. Okay, the historicism, the historicism point of view is this, that end times prophecy began to, be un, to, to unfold after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and continues to unfold till this day. And you're talking about through uh, the fulfillment of prophecy is unfolding. Let me ask you something in historicism, and I think I understand it. Once the event has unfolded, it's not going to repeat, right? So uh, I've never heard that it would, no. Okay. Okay, and that's how you see it, and you're welcome to that. Futurists are welcome to it. Love in the body, fine and fine. Uh, but this show is definitely couched in the preterist view because I think that changes the, uh, the complexion of Christianity today completely if uh, the passage has, passages have been fulfilled. Well, if the preterist view is correct, now, truth matters. There's only one truth or there's no truth, right? Sure. And so, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, okay? And I could, if proven to me, I will admit where I'm wrong. The truth, what matters is God's truth. Yeah, right? I agree. So, so when, I, when I look into the Word of God, and, I, and I, uh, I just do not see preterism. If the second coming of Christ has already happened, now, the prophecy of the destruction of the temple, yes. Following that destruction, that's when it began to unfold. If the second coming of Christ has already happened, what does that leave us? Where does that leave us? And how is that then consistent with all other prophecies? It's not. When you say it's not, that's a, that's a uh, loaded response, my brother. I'm not going to go into a back and forth with you. Um, we can do that. We can do that uh, through email. Someone, uh, I was just talking with Patrick, and it's like opening the fi- the floodgates. It's like trying to get a drink of water out of a, a fire hose. It is such a complex, but I've given my time to it, and I, I could talk to you about the specifics. And in terms of Christ re- coming back, let me ask you just one question. What does Christ not coming back or coming back mean to somebody who died yesterday? Okay, so the, the second coming of Christ is our promise, right? If Christ Not has mine. already returned and taken his church to be with him forevermore in glory, right. then, then the, all, of, all of that had been prophesied, all that had been, been prophesied, all of it, all of the promise has already been fulfilled. Yes, it, but you got to remember. If it's, if it's already been fulfilled, then now, mind you, in those end days, in those end times, God's grace will be pulled from the earth. That would mean then that God's grace is no longer here. Um, Chris, 
Mm-hmm. Well, but right before you said that, you said, um, I, I can't even remember what you said. You made a comment. I was going to, I sort of started to interrupt you. What did you say before you gave uh, that last comment? Um, I think I forgot as well. My question to you, my question to us, that we will be resurrected with Christ. It's uh, like I said, we would bore our audience to tears. Mm-hmm. I could do it. We can go into it. I, yeah. That's all I that's how I see the scripture. But I just think just all I know is I was a futurist. I considered mm-hmm. aspects of historicism. I looked at as much as I could. And in the end, I can't see scripture any other way than through the preterist view. Mm-hmm. But oh, this is what I was going to say to you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Because everything is fulfilled does not mean that everything is is over. Remember in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 5, and 6 that his kingdom is increasing forever. His okay. kingdom is, okay, just because he took his church does not mean there's an end to the increase of his kingdom. And so people right. are coming to that kingdom by faith every day still. And, and, and so I just want to respond to that one thing with you tonight. That just because, and my hope in Christ has not changed a bit. I still have him with me here. I expect to be in his kingdom there. there. I don't have any disappointment in my Christian walk as a preterist. Nothing is lost to me except, like one lady told me, the hope of being raptured and looking down at my friends and laughing because they're left to be destroyed. That's the only thing I've, I'm, I'm missing out in from the preterist view. So when right. you say what is left for us, everything is left for us that was there before. I don't see a loss of anything, but we'll have to talk about that sometime. Okay. Well, I'll, I would like to say just one more thing, just to make this perfectly clear to you and to the audience. Go ahead. This topic is not a matter of whether one is saved or not, whether Amen. one is a preterist, futurist, or historicist. It's not a matter of you know, what... Where one falls does not determine, you know, one's salvation. We are saved by grace in Christ alone. And I appreciate that addition. I concur completely, my brother. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go and get back to watching your show. God bless you. It's good talking to you. I actually have talked to you twice before, uh, long, many years ago. Same to Uh, you, Chris. May God be with you. God bless you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Listen, we spent two years in the book of Revelation, and we spent most of it in from the preterist perspective. I just want you to know that when you read that book, if you see it in that view, it makes a a great deal of reasonable sense. Why? Because you're reading the book of Revelation, you're reading what Jesus said would happen in Matthew 24, and then you read the secular history of Cassius and Suetonius and and uh, Tacitus and Josephus and and Jesus says let me tell you something this is going to happen and then Josephus says and in this uh, period of time this happened and it is secular history supporting what Jesus said would occur all through the book of Revelation having happened then and so uh, if you're interested you go to campuschurch.faith and you go to our archives of Revelation and it is so tediously into it, but it's worth it if you want to hear it from a, from a biblical perspective. So take, take that for what it's worth. Let's go to John in, in Maryland on line three. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
Oh, thank you, Dave. Brother McCraney, it's Brother Humble from Salisbury. How are you? Brother Humble, how you doing? Good. Like I told you, I only call once in a while, so I don't, like, overdo it. Overstay, you're welcome. So what do I got, like a minute? No, you've got more time. We've got a few other callers and a lot of emails, though. Okay, I'll, I'll be quick and brief. I, it's good to hear, hear, hear you, and it's good to, good to talk to you. How you been, man? I'm hanging in there. Good. I was uh, laughing because I turned on the show late, but um, you were talking about Michael Lee. Is he still hanging around? I, what's wrong with that guy? He's got a lot deeper issues than finding religion, brother. I, I think you're right about that. I, my personal, I bad. My personal bad opinion is you're correct. I tried talking to him myself, and he just kind of gave me this bland answer. I'm like, dude, you're, you're seeking, but you're, you need to show a little bit more love. I guess they need like a hug, maybe make him a sandwich, get him a glass of milk or something. I don't know. Well, you but, give him um, the milk, my good LDS brother. I'll give him a beer. It's all about love and faith, like you said. If you don't have those two first, it doesn't really matter. But anyway, I'm going to make a couple points, and then I'll get off the air so you can get on. I'll, I'll be quick. I was just laughing the other day because I go and I check out Dave Bartot with his channel a lot, and I told you that I had hooked up with him a little bit. About the same time I started hooking up with you and dialoguing about a year, year and a half ago. And he was saying how he was LDS for 25 years, but now he's like totally into the Greek Orthodox. Now he's like, this is true, dude. This goes all the way back to the apostles. I'm like... Well, you, you bashed our church about us having apostles, and now you're, like, died through and through with the Greek Orthodox, like he's never left it, like he never left it. He's had it since birth. And I'm like, Dave, you're a walking contradiction yourself, brother. I, yeah. just, don't, I just don't get it, man. D Dave, on a uh, so, man-to-man ma -man basis, Dave's a great guy, a great guy. Great guy, great but, guy, man. But uh, he, uh, yeah, he and I don't see eye-to-eye -eye on his uh, fervor for orthodoxy. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I love him still. Dave, if you're hearing this, Brother Humble still loves you. But anyway, I just thought that I just thought he was a because now. Wait a second, I got to ask you something. Uh, sure, John, sure, go for it. Is your last name Humble? Or are you just are you like being oh, a radio disc jockey calling yourself? No, it, no, and you'll laugh. When I was a missionary, it was Elder Humble. I'm trying to become a state trooper. It'll be Trooper Humble, and people are always like, "Are you humble?" And it's like, dude, I can't answer that question. If I answer the question, I'm immediately not humble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's good to know that humble. you're not using it in all seriousness. It's really your name. No, really. My middle name's Huff, and I always went by Huff in school. I actually had a cop almost take me to jail one time. He said, your name's not Huff Humble. That's a fake alias. I'm like, dude, my name's John Huff Humble. I'm from Salisbury, Maryland. Wow. So anyway, but I'll, I'll make this last point quick. Um, but yeah, I liked your show the other night, how you were talking. I think it was about your brother, about the morning seminary, how they were doing the yoked, the yoked exercise. Yeah. You know, growing up LDS like you, I always, I always wondered about that because, you know, I went through primary. We were blazers. We were deacons. We were priests. You remember all that? I do. And, and I don't mind his metaphor for that, but it should have been more like, okay, I start to put the yoke on, and then, like, like say, you're my brother, Sean, and then you come in and help me because Christ said my burden is easy and my, my yoke is light. So it, I just never understood that about the LDS. I always felt they could get a lot more people in the church if they— kind of did that metaphor a little bit different because it does kind of contradict the scriptures because christ says come unto me yeah all ye that are heavy laden man and i will give you rest yes so i want you to know and all the people that hear me when i call you in or if anybody is lds or not that even though i'm an active member of the church of jesus christ latter-day saints i told you what i did at the mtc i was the first missionary to scaffold a wall and leave yeah because i grew up loving christ but i could not handle that i've seen fifty thousand missionaries and i'm like wait a minute I was like you, Sean, 25 years ago. I was like, wait a minute. I love people, but this group thinks too much, man. I got to get out of here because I went through the temple and it blew me away, all the, you know, the, the stuff you wear in the temple. And then I went to the MTC and I'm like, 
I loved my companion. I was learning Danish. I was going to go to Denmark, and it was like, it was just psychologically too much for a 19-year-old guy, so I left and went back to my party friends. And I didn't go because I didn't love Christ. I went because I was too blown away. The doctrine it was just too far out there. So I wish a lot of times that our LDS brothers and sisters would just simplify some of those things. Because like you say, they're wonderful people. You grew up with them just like I did. They would tell so many people more on the concept of Christ if they would just lighten the load man well i think maybe your influence and people like you more and more like you are coming around to think that way i think that you can keep that organization and the good stuff it's all about you know and that that structure that that's good uh intact if you can help cause a change maybe they'll move you up into a position of apostleship or something you can do something about it someday you know, I, I won't go into it. I'll get off the phone with you now. But my mom, I got a really special patriarchal blessing when I was a kid. And I know you're not LDS no more, but there are some really great people in there. And even some of the apostles are great, Sean. I just wish that, may, and maybe I will. I hope that my patriarchal blessing does come true. And that, so that I, when I'm up there, and if I'm up at the top, because um, I'm not a worldly person at all. I'm like you. I'm just a seeker of truth, man. I'm not about religion. I'm about praising, praising God. Awesome, brother. Just, Keep going. You know, just keep going. You too, brother. Hey, I love you. Have a great week, you and your family. Love you too. Talk to you later. Bye. Take care, bro. And, and uh, I know this is really tough for people who are... I have some former LDS people sitting here, and uh, they're giving me the nasty look. <sighs> because our LDS friends who are excited like that, like uh, Brother Humble, you know, they throw the... You catch the things, you know. You know, when you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they say the whole thing. You catch all of it. And, you know, if you've been in it, you're like, do we have to go down that road? But nevertheless, we got we to gotta try to be nice, try to understand, let people believe as they're going to believe, because all of them are believing something crazy. I believe crazy things. You believe crazy things. Bartoswitz believes crazy things. Mormons believe crazy things. But we also believe some good things like Jesus is Lord. He came, he lived, he died, he resurrected. We're kind of united in that. There's some differences within it. Let's try to build on that because we need to unite in love. The love has to be there among us. And uh, so I just want to bring that out. Let's go to Preston uh, in Salt Lake City. Preston, you're on Heart of Zamata. Hey, what's up? What's up, Preston? Creature. I was calling, man, to see if you could help me out with a problem I got here. What problem you got, Brother Preston? All right, man. So I was going over here to preach a good word to my friend uh, M. Knight uh, Shilabuff. And uh, he got one of them reptilian shapeshifters locked in his pantry. And they're shapeshifting back and forth between uh, uh, Nicky Minaj. Anyway, I was going to ask you. If you knew how I should go about this situation, my friend. Well, what I would do is uh, I would get somebody who is really good at baseball. And I would get them to come into my home and swing away. Okay. Swing away. Swing away at that you know lizard in that pantry and beat that fricker to holy hell. All right, man. You know what? You know what we're going to tackle next? We're going to tackle this issue with the flat earth because it's obviously flat, my friend. Obviously. You know? Dude, I knew, I've been I knew, waiting I knew you were the right you. guy to call, man. God, man. Man, it's just perfect. All right, so, you know. So anyway, flat earth. I also wanted to tell you something. Yeah. 
Thank you, man. I wanted to thank you for everything you've been doing. Hey, man. Thank you, Preston. And I be careful with that thing. lizard in the in the in the pantry. Be careful. Well, I'm I'm still trying to preach the uh, the word of the you know well you know the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints you know come on come all so but uh, you know one step at a time right I mean those shapeshifters man Sh anyway damn oh man don't get me start, started man They're we got shapeshifters in our audience right now. They exactly. act one way and they shape shift right out of it the next. Scary. Sometimes shit. I wonder if I'm one of them, dude. Do you ever wonder that? I, I don't know, Preston. I wish you the best, though, brother. I'm teasing you, man. Hey, but thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Right. Lord bless Preston, wherever he might be and, and whatever's going on with Preston tonight. I think something has to do with peyote. <laughs> All right, let's continue on. Uh, got an email from Brother Curtis. It says, reflecting upon my decades in Mormonism, I never heard the word surrender. Why? Mormonism is all about perfecting the saints, redeeming the dead, proclaiming the gospel, returning with honor, personal worthiness, and priesthood duty, I don't think once I ever heard the words surrender to Christ. Have you ever met um, uh, anyone in Mormonism that can fulfill what's required to achieve exaltation? Have you ever encountered someone keeping all the commandments? Not I. And Curtis makes such great points uh, that are so firmly established biblically. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. A broken heart and a contrite spirit over what? Over their state, over their sin, over who they are in their heart. That is who the Lord is near to, the scripture says. And uh, Curtis is talking about coming to the Lord, waving the white flag of surrender to personal righteousness and perfection saying, I can't do it. I need you to come in and l do this for me. And he's right. You don't, you don't find that within Mormonism, this idea of surrendering to Christ. Uh, come unto Christ uh, versus surrendering to Christ are two very different approaches to Christ. Come unto Christ means make the decision to approach him and take on his yoke. Surrender to him means do his will and let him in you and allow him to work in and through you. So thank you so much for sharing that. Kathy wrote, really interesting. Uh, before we uh, get to Kathy's comment, it's very intriguing about the Mormon culture here in Utah. We're going to take a quick look at a short clip. Do you believe the church should have a living prophet? Yes, we do. Who is the living prophet? We would testify that it is President Russell M. Nelson. Is he the only one in your church called a prophet? Actually, the other apostles in our church are also called prophets. So there is a president of the church, his two counselors, and the quorum of the twelve apostles. All fifteen of them are called prophets? That's right, but only one who is the presiding prophet. Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is alive or dead right now? He was resurrected, and he is our living Savior. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews said about this subject. Please read Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, 
hath in the last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. In the past God spoke to his people through prophets, but in these last days God speaks to us by his Son. So who did you say the church's living prophet was again? I hear what you're saying, but we need a spokesman on earth as the voice of the Lord who is directing the affairs of the church. Isn't that the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to inspire, reveal, and guide us as members of the body of Christ? As we read in Hebrews 3.1, Jesus is our apostle and high priest. Going on to the next chapter, let's read Hebrews 4.14-16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is our only high priest. We do not need any intermediaries. We can go directly to him. There is no need of mortal men and brick-and-mortar institutions to get in the way between us and God. No need for bishops, pastors, priests, or so-called prophets. The New Testament is clear on this issue. I know you're familiar with this missionary scripture. Elder, please quote 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that one mediator is Jesus. He is the living prophet. He is our only prophet. He is our everything. Offline, uh, by the way, Elder Light and the Loafers there, that guy, he's winking at that other Chris dude. He's slowly winking at him. Do you see it? There's a pass being made here. And I don't appreciate that talking to Mormon staff. Uh, just kidding. People are asking, when we're interviewing Denver Snuffer, Denver Snuffer is coming up. We're going to interview him at 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, October 8th, right here. We're going to play those later on on the show, but if you want to be in attendance, be here at 3 o'clock when Denver and I sit down and talk for three or four hours, uh, but I wanted to get to that. Listen, uh, Talking to Mormons is a fantastic site, and we're going to continue uh, covering their site and others in the weeks to come, but check them out. Kathy wrote, Sean, I went to breakfast with a friend this morning. She has left the Mormon church years ago. She lives in the same building I live in. She had gone to play uh, cards with some other ladies last week who, br who play every week, and one lady who was LDS brought a picture to show them all. It was a picture of Joseph Smith, and the caption said, Joseph Smith suffered as much as Jesus Christ. That's what it said. She was so upset by it, as she is a Christian, and was very hurt by this foolish statement. Kathy ends with, I am saddened uh, by this, as my daughter and granddaughter are so steeped in that religion. I came out of it 14 years ago, and am free in Christ Jesus. I'm so grateful to be out of it, and under the burden of that religion. How terribly sad to have such a big, have such a statement being taught in that religion. It hurts my heart for those Poor dupe souls who will buy that garbage. What an insult to our dear Savior and what he suffered on the cross for the sins of the world. And she ends by saying that Jesus is her everything. What Kathy writes here is kind of the point of our show and ministry is 
to help people understand the power and freedom and beauty of Jesus and uh, of uh, letting him become everything in your life, surrendering to him if you want to. You know, I speak uh, against the Orgrels, the organizational religions, as a means to address bondage. But again, if you want to be in it and it's not bondage to you, have at it. The real question remains, is Jesus your everything? No matter what you're in, is he your everything or have you too inserted things? Stack them up, you know, different codes, different rituals, different holidays, different demands, different lifestyles, different this and that. Uh, if you truly want to be free, consider what Kathy said here and, uh, and, and you will be. Susan wrote a great email and I'm not going to be able to get to it tonight, Susan. I told you I was. Uh, it's all, she sent me three or four emails about eschatology. I'm going to get to that next week or in the, in the weeks to come because I just don't have time right now. It's, it's a growing question with people and I think it's important, but I want to end up with a little bit of a lengthy email, but it's, it's a perfect email to me that I will, I love to answer and, and, and respond to. It's from Kate, uh, Blessy. I hope I'm saying that right. Or Blease from England. She says, my name is Kate. I'm a 42-year-old ex-Mormon English woman. I'd like to tell you a little of my story and ask for your advice. I was raised Mormon with a very devout father who tried his best, and I'm the eldest of four girls. Between the ages of three and seven, my active Mormon grandfather sexually abused me. When it was discovered, he was disfellowshipped, and we stopped seeing him for a time. I found out later that the reason he wasn't exed for it was because he'd already been exed once for adultery, and it's a twice-and-you're-out-for-good policy, which they didn't want for him. He was a scout leader and a draftsman in the new ch for the new chapel, and everybody loved him. On Christmas Day the same year, he came around to ask forgiveness, which my dad granted, much to my distress. He abused me again that day. And went on to do the same thing for another five years. And this he did also to two of my little sisters. This is why, this is one of the reasons that um, the march is going on. And that, and that this is a movement afoot among a lot of people against religion. Because this stuff should not be happening. And it's happening right here in this woman's life. I was mad and became quite a rebel. Was smoking and drinking by 13. I gave up on church mainly because I couldn't keep the rules. And I developed mental illnesses. By 2001, I was in a car wreck with alcohol problem. And a mind that was out of control. And I was completely alone. It's funny how Mormons abandon people when they're sinning. Even though that's who the Lord Jesus came to save. One day in November, I was at my lowest. I felt strongly to pick up the Book of Mormon. I read and read like never before, hoping to feel a burning in the bosom. But what I got at the end of the day was salvation. Uh, I remember it just like yesterday. The pure love of Jesus flowed through me. In an instant, I was forgiven and totally changed. I had real godly sorrow, pure tears of repentance, and I knew what the Holy Spirit was in me in a new way. I'm going to stop right here regarding this email because I want to tell you something. The Book of Mormon is looking at my friend Dan Weiss's studies, which we'll talk about in the future too. Uh, the Book of Mormon is really a biblical book. It borrows so many concepts and actual passages from the Bible. 
So when someone reads that, they're really reading a version of the Bible. It's set in a different uh, fictional storyline from fictional gold plates, but he borrowed so many concepts from the Bible. When people read it, they feel a resonation to Jesus because that's what made the book great. The Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price, well, those things are out in, on, on Kolob. But the Book of Mormon was borrowed so heavily from the Bible when people read it. They can have a salvific experience. Jesus can come to them, I believe. Uh, he, she says, I still believed in the church, though I never doubted, uh, though, because I never doubted it was... Uh, not true. I figured that if all the Mormons I knew could just could trust Joseph Smith without a doubt, I must too. She goes on and she talks about a long protracted life of getting involved in Mormonism again and then falling back and feeling deflated about it and then going to smoking and drinking. She keeps talking about going back to smoking and drinking. She became mentally unwell, was hospitalized for months at a time over a four-year period. Uh, she couldn't cope Without the closeness to God she once had, she was restored to the church in 2007. She felt the love of Jesus, but again, she started to smoke and drink and felt the loss again. And on and on, she says, I felt like Mephistopheles in Dr. Faustus' uh, play. And she said, I had a breakdown, suicide attempts, self-harm, despised myself. My dad was a stake president at the time. And... Um, I soon wasn't attending church. My parents abandoned me because I didn't go to church. All of this stuff are themes that you read about in people who are formerly LDS lives, uh, that they, they want to belong, they try, the family embraces them, they reject it, the family rejects them, sexual abuse in some cases. She said, a few years ago, I wanted to prove Mormonism false and through YouTube started watching your show. I've never read the Bible, but bought one. When you showed through the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is with the believer forever and that the saving experience I had wasn't going to be taken away, I jumped for joy. That is a truism. You don't have it lost. The ebb and flow of our faith and doubt does not remove, God does not leave us because we're in a, a state of doubt. He doesn't leave us because we've turned to our flesh and sin. That's, that's not what Jesus' blood allows God to enter you by the Holy Spirit and stays with you during those times. That's the beautiful thing about the unconditional love of uh, God through Jesus Christ is that he moves in to a permanent house in your heart and he doesn't move out. Now, he can abandon you because you will say, I want nothing to do with you ever again, and you rebel against him, he leaves. But it's not a leave back and forth thing. He leaves and it's over. That's what he talks about in scripture. But when it comes to you ebbing and flowing because of faith and doubt and sin and righteousness, he's always there. He's always there. And that is what that's what she is writing about in the end of this long email. I'm really worried that if God restores me again to full fellowship, the same thing will happen again, and I will be back to pridefully comparing uh, socks, is what she says because of the show we did about socks. I pray, but I've lost my close relationship with Jesus. Uh, until I watched your show, I didn't know how much the non-LDS Christianity, but now I'm learning it anyway. She says, am I still saved? You were saved 2,000 years ago. It was a done deal. God saved the world. Uh, and so you were part of it. And you were saved. 
The question is, is are you willing to accept that and are you willing to walk in faith of that? That's how we walk by faith is to trust that he did save us. You don't, not, a lot of people don't know. Some people say, I know. Some people don't know that they've been saved. They walk by faith. They believe that Jesus did it and they trust in it and they walk in that. That's called walking by faith. And that's the demand that's on a Christian life is to walk by faith, Kate. Now you, you don't know. You don't feel it all the time. And, 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 but he is with you and you trust that. And then with that trust, you read the scripture, you talk to him, you have an open relationship, and you walk in faith. Sometimes he rewards that, it seems, and he gives you something that lets you know he's there. At least he does in my life and, and for others, I'm sure he does too. And, and sometimes not. You feel like you're in the desert and you're not getting anything. That's part of the walking by faith. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by knowing. We don't get a whole bunch of proofs of him in our, in our everyday life unless you just want to see your life that way and you just start reading into it. But he's there and you have to choose, am I going to be a woman of faith and I'm going to walk and trust that there is a God who loved me and sent his son and the Holy Spirit is with me and then live toward that or am I not? And, and, and that's what you're facing now. Smoking and drinking and failing and sin and all those things. He moved in because of your faith. He's not leaving as long as there's that faith that you are going to trust him. And that faith is there. It's still in you. That's why you would write such a thing. So, Kate, rededicate your life to him, maybe. I don't know. I'm just throwing out something. Open up the word. Keep watching the show. Keep seeking for truth. Don't beat yourself up. Realize that smoking and drinking, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a woman. It's what comes out of the mouth. The things that we say from our heart of hearts. That's what Jesus taught. All right? Relax on the legalisms. Be yourself and let God work in you. Uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, oh, we have one more thing. The picture that we showed from my brother's seminary class. Uh, Moira from London says, No offense, but I find that picture frightening. Doesn't Christ tell us to come unto me for my yoke is light? Uh, Moira is LDS. And she's saying she finds it frightening. This is what we're looking for. Honest communication from people of all faiths to say, yeah, that just doesn't look right. That's not good. The more we have that open communication, the more the walls will break down from the higher ups and maybe some change will start to happen. Remember, uh, Saturday, October 5th. One more shot at the sign, Seth, or is it lower? Uh, Saturday, October 5th, the March. And read it, somebody. Stay. The Children's March, Protect Every Child, Sam Young, Saturday, October 5th, 2019, 9 a.m. sharp. Be at the Salt Lake City and County Building at 450 South State Street in Salt Lake City to participate. So put that on your calendar. We need 5,000 people there. Your attendance will matter. Also, that night, 7 p.m., Lee Baker is going to be debating James White Saturday, October 5th at the Magna Christ Presbyterian Church. And if you want to participate and go watch that, please do. One more thing uh, that I have in my notes. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. Our friend is going to be busy. 
because James White is debating um, Dan Ellis, an atheist. That's on October 3rd, Thursday night, 7 p.m. at the University of Utah. Dan Ellis has been on this stage as an atheist. I've been on his uh, Godless Revolution show with three atheists and me talking, and he's going to be debating uh, uh, James White, the Calvinist, who's also been on the stage debating me. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I'm kind of rooting for Dan. <laughs> Uh, and here's why. If God is the way a Calvinist describes him, completely five-point Calvinist describes God, I agree with Dan. <laughs> I, can't, I can't buy James' idea that God created the whole world of people, uh, specifically knowing he was going to cause most of them, he was going to send most of them to a burning hell forever, and he was going to consider that joyful. <laughs> So, Dan, best of luck talking to James. I hope you don't convert him, but I hope you cause him to change his views on God. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>